Are you a high-performing real estate investor who's looking to further elevate your performance? If so, download our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits by joining our insider network at elevatepod.com. This guide created by yours truly has the power to put your transformation on autopilot and exponentially change your trajectory. Go get your free copy now at elevatepod.com. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with the mad scientist of multifamily today, the great Neil Bawa. Today, you are going to learn about tokenization of real estate. You're going to learn about blockchain and the impact that it has on the future of real estate investing. You're going to learn about how artificial intelligence is impacting the future of real estate investing. It's also impacting the future of investing, period. Um, and wow, you're going to learn so much. You're going to learn about how change is the only constant and how the greatest real estate investors will evolve through this change and capitalize on these opportunities. Because yeah, there's a lot of uh, great things on the horizon. There's also a lot of challenging news that we need to really understand how we can optimize our own opportunities, how we can continue to serve other people, how we can continue to create more value. You're going to learn about that today. And it is an amazing conversation with a process guru and a data freak, or actually a data guru and a process freak, because you're going to learn also about how to optimize your process in your business. Because man, if you are an executive, if you're a real estate investor, you're a decision maker. And if you're executing on a process, perhaps you're not considering how you're strategically thinking. And I think for us to be able to capture great opportunities in this ever-changing landscape, we've got to be thinking strategically. And for us to effectively do that, we have to have process on the back end. So you're going to learn so much today. And I just want to encourage you to buckle up. And Elevate Nation is all about mindset mind expansion and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. Of course, today is no different. You're actually going to learn about Neil's personal development process as well so that you can integrate that and apply that to your own life. I am your host, Tyler Chesser, and I am a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar and the fee for listening or watching today. By the way, thank you for being here. We're super, super grateful to have the opportunity to serve you, to add value to you. The only fee that we ask from you is just to pay this forward and share this with someone in your network, someone in your circle that needs to know how are things changing? How are things evolving? And how can you effectively adapt as a participant in the marketplace, as a human being in general? Because look, we're all on this ride. It's a roller coaster for sure. But who would benefit from listening to this conversation? I want to encourage you and I want to ask you, please, to share this with them. Grab the link, post it on social media, send it in a text message, send it in an email, send it on your Slack channel to your company, wherever we just ask that you share this episode. I also want to ask if you haven't done so already, please give us a rating, a review, subscribe or follow Elevate Podcast on wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts because we're going to continue to bring massive value and 
it's incumbent upon us to ask that you support that and give us your true feedback. What is it that you like? What is it that you don't like? What is it that you love? What is it that you would like to see more of? And so I'd like to ask you also to give us feedback directly. Send me an email at info at elevatepod.com. What is awesome about Elevate? What content or other content would you like to hear? What would you like to hear more of? Who would you like to hear from? Or you can also send me a DM on Instagram at elevatepod. And so I'm going to stop asking you to do things now. I'm going to ask you to enjoy this amazing conversation because I want to introduce you to Neil Bawa, who is a technologist and he is universally known in the real estate circles as the mad scientist of multifamily. Besides being one of the most in-demand speakers in commercial real estate, Neil is a data guru, a process freak, and an outsourcing expert. Neil treats his $508 million multifamily portfolio as an ongoing experiment in efficiency and optimization. The mad scientist lives by two mantras. His first mantra is that we can only manage what we measure. And his second mantra is that data beats gut by a million miles. These mantras and a dozen other disruptive beliefs drive profit for his 440 plus investors. So without further ado, please enjoy this highly insightful and informative discussion with Neil Bawa. The great Neil Bawa. Neil, how are you? I'm well, Tyler. It's bad, good to be back on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for being here, man. I'm so excited about our conversation. I just admire the way that you think, the way that you make decisions, and the way that you synthesize data. So I think there's going to be a lot to learn for, for me, for many of the listeners today. Before we dive in, Neil, if you were to describe yourself in the way that people that know you best would, what would you say about that? And, and what would they tell us about Neil Bawa? I think my closest friends think either that I'm a geek or a nerd or a dork. You know, I mean, I am I am a data scientist and a computer science programmer. I'm from Silicon Valley. I think like all the nerds there. And I think that data is the greatest thing ever invented. I think data beats gut feel by a million miles. And I say that every day. And uh, a quote that I invented is that the Bible got it wrong by one letter. It is not it is not the meek that shall inherit the earth, the geek. <laughs> that is awesome. That's awesome. So were you always fascinated by data or just science growing up or what was that like? How did yeah, you get I was, into that? World? I was um, borderline autistic uh, when I was nine because I would see th numbers and everything and they fixed the autism. I was very withdrawn. So they, they, my, they, my dad used to be a fighter pilot, so the Army the, the Air Force Hospital sort of fixed the issue with a, with a psychologist that worked with me for about six months, and I became kind of, you know, normal. Um, but that never went away. I see numbers in everything. I see numbers in front of me right now. It, they're, they're just everywhere. And I'm, I take every conversation, every word, every article, and I try to distill it into a series of numbers. And it, it's not something that I'm doing consciously. It is just happening all the time. And, and of it's, course, it's not very distracting, by the way. There's a portion of my brain that files it away, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's happening all the time. So I can tell you that I have already, uh, so far in the last five minutes, uh, my brain has measured the, the filing shelves, be, be, you know, behind you. And so I've, it's figured out what the ratio is of the length to the width. So I could probably figure out the filing shelf is 30 inches high. So by looking at it in perspective, I know it's how many, it's 48 inches wide, those sorts of things. It's happening all the time. 
That's amazing. So the question that I have is how do you sleep <laughs> with your mind working in that capacity? <laughs> it turns but- off, it turns off, but, but I need to do a lot. So one of the things I do is, so uh, each evening, um, you know, at eight o'clock, I leave all of my devices in one room. I go into the bedroom, uh, my wife and I do yoga. And then after that, we use uh, these um, heavy kind of machines to do a massage. And between the yoga and the massage, I sleep well, I meditate in the morning, but I need to do all of those things to not get overly wired. So I do miracle mornings, I'm up at 450. And so the usual miracle morning savers, you know, starts with the meditation. So people like me need meditation, they need and and I do a lot like on Saturday, I do an hour and a half massage, I go for an hour to a place called stretch lab that stretches me out. All of that is needed for me to not get tense. That's helpful to know. I think a lot of the listeners are wondering, it's like, well, how do you slow your mind down in that capacity? But what you just talked about was routine, right? In many different ways. But thinking about obviously being the mad scientist of multifamily, which I think is a, is a really cool way to kind of meld two worlds, right? You are in Silicon Valley. That's where you live. That's where you, you know, really get sort of a lot of your perspective. And then obviously being an investor at a high level developer as well. I mean, melding those two worlds to me is really interesting. And you also described yourself as a data guru and a process freak. So it's like you're melding all of these worlds, obviously synthesizing data and information, but putting that into a process. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I think that process is underrated. I think building companies and and growing your empire is not as easy for the, the, the guys that raise money, the guys that raise money. And I'm quite good at raising money myself, but I think what, what I'm most good at is how do I understand all of the processes that a particular large project has? And how do I break that into the appropriate buckets? How do I tie those, two, those buckets together in a way that, that it, it becomes assembly line and it becomes very obvious to me that the assembly line has stopped because there's a wrench in the line? How do I do that, right? I, and I do that very naturally. My, my partner, her name is Anna Myers, does it even better. She's a, basically a process architect. And so we've created a company with tens and thousands of processes in a software called Asana tied back to another software called Slack, where you can go into Slack, click a button, fill out a form, goes into Asana, assigns a task, assigns it to a person, and then assigns it to a manager. And that manager basically every week has to check stuff. So this allows me to do some very unique things. And the most important thing that it allows me is to hire people from other countries. So I have 10 full-time employees in the US. I have 20 in the Philippines. And my Filipinos are actually even more effective than the US employees because they're on a treadmill. They're on a treadmill where my doing one action in email creates sometimes 40 or 50 tasks that spread out. And now they have to work on these tasks because they also have managers in the Philippines whose you know, oversight has triggered. And so those, those people throughout the day are checking to see what it is that you're doing. So process allows you to do amazing things. I mean, I mentioned to you before we started this podcast, we are really doing 10 projects this quarter. We will raise... By the end of this quarter, we will have raised about $60 million for 10 different projects. We would have bought five of them and would have you know, pipelined the remaining five to buy in, in the first quarter of la- next year. And so we are one of the largest syndication teams. I, I know that Joe Fairless has, you know, is a bigger syndicator than we are and has a bigger portfolio, but we have more employees. The reason for that is we have a two to one ratio between the US employees, 10, and, and the Filipinos, 20. 
And we're constantly recruiting, constantly hiring because our process is what allows us to get scale. Most syndicators like, you know, Brian Burke, famous syndicator, Praxis Capital, they do three or four projects a year, right? Because they're really, really good at syndication and getting their investors returned, but they don't have the process and systems that we have. So they just do four every year or three every year, right? Where I, as far as I'm concerned, there's actually no limit to the number of projects I can do. So process is what creates great companies and process is what prevents syndication companies from becoming the size of Apple. So walk me through the principles of creating and automating a process. So you mentioned 10,000 plus processes that you have tied through Asana, through Slack, which communicates to your team, whether it's in the Filipinos in the U S or, or the Philippines or in the U S talk to me, what are the principles of a, you know, a developed, a strong process? Um, firstly, you have to start with simplicity for the executives. So as an exec, the last thing I want to be doing is spending huge amounts of time on this process. The process needs to be invisible from me. My job as an executive is to scale my company. I want to be able to make decisions in a second, and then I want to be able to assign them or trigger them. So my way of using process, so I'll start from the top where it's simplest and then go to kind of the bottom level. So when I need to assign a task, I do it one of two ways, so two standard ways. Let's say it's a simple task. And maybe there's an email that comes in from Tyler and Tyler's talking to me about a property and I know what the next task is. What I've done is I have a software called Asana. It's a very famous software, it's project management. Most people don't use it properly because they actually go into Asana to create tasks. As an executive, that's very silly. I've never, I haven't been to Asana for six months. It's not my job to be in Asana, it's other people's jobs. What I know is I know the email address of every project in Asana, not every project, but all the main ones. So imagine there's like 25 buckets in Asana for major projects. And one of those buckets is when a partner like Tyler Chester has this great property and sends it to me and say, hey, let's work together on this property. That's one of those big buckets. And that bucket in Asana has an email address. I don't know anything else about the bucket. I don't know right now if it has 10 tasks or 10,000, that's not my job. But what I know is the email address. So when I read Tyler's email, either I'm gonna be like, nah, not interested, or I'm like, this is interesting. And so the only action I take, which takes me about five seconds, is that I go in and decide who do I want to assign this to? So let's say it's my director of acquisitions, Pete. So I type in Pete's information, and then I type in, here's the part that's next. This is what everyone misses, right? This is the beauty of process. I type in the email address of the Asana project for acquisitions next to Pete's name. Then in the CC field, I put in whoever is Pete's supervisor. In this case, Pete, director of acquisitions is supervised by our, our chief uh, uh, operations officer. Her name's Anna Meyer, she's my partner. I put her in the CC field, okay? And then the only thing that I do, and it takes me about five seconds, is I write highly descriptive subject lines, right? So I take the original subject line that Tyler had, I remove it. And when I start those subject lines, the first word is something like acquisitions, dash, and then the rest of my subject line. And then I click send. And when I'm done with this, I am done. I am really, really done. I have now said my director of acquisitions has immediately received an email. So he's seen the email from me, right? Because it's a regular email, it goes to him. But it also went to Asana. 
Nasana was smart enough to take his name and assign the task to him and also put Anna as his supervisor for this task. So now the task is assigned in Asana. I never send email to people without assigning stuff because I want absolute accountability. Now, each project that really matters also has an Asana cleaner. And you might think the Asana cleaner should be Anna, right? She's your partner. No, she's too high end. Oh, it should be Pete. No, he's too high end. Asana cleaners are simply people in the Philippines who I pay six bucks an hour. And what these people are doing is they're constantly checking Asana for thousands of tasks. So let's say I send Tyler's email off to Pete and Pete doesn't do anything about it for a week, right? He's supposed to, then their system set up in, in there, he's supposed to have, he, in, within 48 hours, he's supposed to go into Asana, update this task and say, I'm doing it. I'm you know, emailing Tyler, looks interesting, you know, terrible property, whatever it is that he's supposed to say, he's supposed to say in 48 hours, right? And he's supposed to say it in Asana, right? And, and you can also, of course, reply back to the task, in which case, you know, Anna will see the reply because Asana sends it out to the supervisor. But a third person, a lowly person in the Philippines has the job, and there's a, a Slack channel. So we, we communicate through Slack, we hate email. In that Slack channel, it's an, it's an accountability channel. We call it Asana-accountability. Every week, three times a week, anyone in the company, no matter how high or low their rank is, if they don't update their Asana tasks on time, they are publicly shamed. And it's not shaming in the sense that we don't say nasty things to them. But we have a table of all of our employees and every, anyone where 100% of their Asana tasks are in green are, is at the top of the table. And let's say you're the worst and only 20% of your Asana tasks are as they should be. You're at the bottom of the table and the table is color-coded. Red is bad, you know, yellow is kind of okay and, and green is great. And then what we do, what this person does in the Philippines is that she says things like, you know, John, you're doing great. Way to keep going and cleaning up Asana. Pete, catch up. She says that, right? Nobody listens to her because she's a lowly person in the Philippines. Then Anna and I, we say, yes, Pete, catch up. Come on, let's get you up there. That's all we do. And we have now built company-wide accountability. We actually have no, no idea what task these people are talking about, right? But because we have this person in the background catching everybody, everyone is terrified of being at the bottom of this list. And this list comes out three times a week. So it, it prevents people who are unstructured. The companies are composed of structured people and unstructured. The structured people would do this stuff anyway. They probably do it a little bit better in our company. But the unstructured are what holds up companies. They're the cogs that prevent, bring the assembly line to a halt. They can't do it, right? And so now when we buy a property, we have this very, very large Asana project template. So we have one for developing properties and one for building properties. Over time, these templates have been developed to have six, seven, eight hundred items added in. So every time we buy a property, we put it in contract, like we have a property in Killeen in contract, we have a property in um, Dalton, Georgia in contract. These are fairly large properties. All that my chief operations officer does, note I don't, right? Because my job is strategy, it's not to run the company. Chief operation officers run the company. She does what is known as a kickoff meeting. 
In a kickoff meeting, people are called into the meeting at different times. So it's a long meeting, 90 minutes, but not everybody comes in because what's the point, right? And what she does is she takes that 500 item template, copies it over, names it Killeen, and then she starts going department by department. Operations comes in at nine o'clock. They're assigned their tasks, 60, 70. Different people get assigned tasks. You, you know, acquisitions gets assigned their tasks, due diligence, their tasks, marketing, their tasks, right? Ops will come in and it's like, okay, start building a template. Uh, legal will come in and basically say, okay, well, go out and get this VPM. Well, in an hour, in the first hour of the project, maybe 90 minutes, we've already assigned 500 plus tasks for this project, right? And no one cannot do those tasks because if it's tied to a project, they have 24 hours to update Asana, not 48. Because it's a project, you better get a move on, right? So by the end of that process, everyone, and usually it's 25 people that come in and out of this, this kickoff room, everyone knows what they're doing. Neil, this is amazing. And I will tell you that the geeks are rejoicing right now. They're jumping for joy. <laughs> like, I knew it was possible that tasks could be tied to subtasks and subtasks to triggers. And, you know, yeah, I mean, everything is tied to triggers. Like one task will trigger another 16. Because one thing that we hate doing is assigning people 17 tasks. We assign right. them the first task and then we trigger a bunch of tasks off of it. Mm. And I think there's a, there's a huge takeaway. I mean, obviously everybody has to run their business the way that they see fit, but there's a huge takeaway in that your job is strategy. Your job is evaluating the market, evaluating the landscape, making decisions on behalf of your investors, on behalf of your team. And then your chief operating officer is the integrator into making things happen, right? Running the company. That's, that was a huge takeaway from that. I, I, I hate getting into the weeds. I mean, honestly, podcasts, I have time to do two podcasts a week. And right, I don't have my own podcast. People ask me, what podcast do you have? My answer is other people's podcasts. You'll see a hundred podcasts from me. Why do I have time to do this? I mean, a lot of people, Joe Fairless doesn't have the time to do other people's podcasts, but that's because maybe he gets into the weed, weeds a little bit too much. I find that I function far better when I don't get into the weeds. And so the only time when I get into the weeds is if I see that process is not being done well, I'll jump mm. in, right? Sit down with people and say, this process is not working. It's now broken three times. Let's improve it. And then I pull back out having, you know, improved the weeds, so to speak. Right. Right. So let's talk about, let's shift gears and talk about strategy because that's really where you shine and thinking about, all right, well, let's make sense of all the different things that are happening currently. And then all the things that are on the horizon. One of the things that you've spoken about recently that's on the horizon that you believe is totally going to change the game in real estate is tokenization. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And why do you believe that this is something that, you know, perhaps many people are missing and why do you believe that it's going to totally change the game? So, I want to give you an example so you understand how big tokenization is. 1996, there are over 10,000 travel agents in the United States. Five years later, 90% of them are dead. Another five years later, 90% of the remaining are dead. That's what technology does. It commoditizes, it compresses, it has the Walmart effect. In the 70s, there's over 100,000 neighborhood grocers in the United States. In the 90s, there's less than 5,000, 95% gone. Technology had that impact. Walmart had the best technology out there, which allowed them to decimate people. Amazon's doing the same thing to Walmart now. So technology 
is one of the most dangerous things that you can deal with because it, when it gets to a certain tipping point, it can completely change business models, right? So now imagine how inefficient real estate is. Real estate is one of the largest industries in the world and it's horribly inefficient. And I'll explain in a moment, you'll see how inefficient it is. So I'm gonna make a statement and then give you numbers. The statement is this, stocks are 10,000 times more efficient than real estate. Stocks are 10,000 times more efficient. And I'll give you an example. If I wanna buy Apple stock or any stock, if it takes me more than five minutes to buy that stock, something is wrong. Right? It should take five minutes or less, you know, as long as I have an E-Trade account or Robinhood or whatever. Five minutes is a maximum, right? Probably takes a minute, actually. Now I'll tell you this. If I tell you today that Idaho Falls is the best market in the United States, and I convince you in this podcast, it will take you at least 50,000 minutes, 50,000 minutes to buy and rent out that home. 50,000 minutes sounds like a lot. It's 10,000 times more than the, buying the stock. It's not. 50,000 minutes is actually a fairly small amount of time. One you know, hour is 60 minutes, right? So I'm, I'm basically saying it's, it's going to take you a significant amount of time, right? May not be 50,000, but maybe 5,000. So I'll say 6,000 just because the math is easy. 6,000 is 100 hours, okay? And you're like, wow, real estate is that inefficient? Yes. I challenge you to do it in less than time because you first... You have to identify the market, which maybe I gave to you. Then you have to you know, do your research. Then you have to fly to the market the first time, the second time, the third time. It's very frustrating. Then you have to bid with a bunch of people, lose a bunch of bids. And then maybe one day you are successful. Then you have to go out and either raise money for it or find money for it. Close the property, rehab the property. Because these days, if you buy a property that's already you know, rehab, there's no cash flow, right? You have to now rehab this property, which will take you humongous amounts of time. Then you have to get a tenant in. And that process means that you have to work with property managers. You see where I'm going with this? By the time you own your first property, there is absolutely no way you haven't spent 100, 100, 100 hours. Most people end up spending more than that. Imagine how inefficient real estate is compared to stocks, right? Ridiculously inefficient. That inefficiency creates profit. You look at how thin Amazon's margins are, 4%, because they've completely commoditized real estate. They can function at 4%, therefore they kill everyone else. Now imagine that happening to real estate. It's good news and bad news. I believe that five years from now, most real estate will be tokenized. So tokenization is the process of turning real estate into stock. When today I tell you Idaho Falls is the best market in the United States, which it is by the way, you're, you should be able to, five years from now, grab your phone, go into some Robinhood-like app, some E-Trade-like app, probably not Robinhood, but an app that basically you go in, select the city, go in, in Idaho Falls. It'll give you everything. It'll say things like, okay, you can invest $100 or $50 into this retail center on 7th Street. You can in, you invest into this multifamily in, it's on 17th Street. And, or by the way, there's like 35 homes listed and you can invest in any of those, okay? And you can basically tap and buy $50 increments, $100 increments. Every time you tap and buy, you're buying a token. The token lives on the blockchain. It doesn't actually live in a title company. Title companies are one of the reasons why real estate is so slow because everything is so slow, right? 
So we're going towards a future where this nonsensical real estate only concept of needing title companies to close something makes no sense, right? We don't need title companies to buy cars or even aircraft. We just we need title companies to buy real estate. So it's a very backward area. And as tokenization develops, you don't have to worry when you're buying a token. You never worry. Like when Tyler buys Apple stock, has Tyler ever thought, what if you know, Apple has 80 million stocks and I bought one and somehow there's still only 80 million left on in, in the internet. No, one stock is now in Tyler's pocket. There can only be 79,99999 left, right? You never worry about it. So there's a massive infrastructure that costs trillions of dollars on the web that makes sure that this stock can only belong to Tyler, right? That infrastructure is what we are now developing for real estate, this backend infrastructure. So when you buy a token of a single family home in, uh, in Idaho Falls, or even a parking lot in New York, you know that you own that portion of it and you never have to worry about it. Now in the background, there is a ridiculous, humongous amount of work to make sure that you do own that piece. But it's just like stocks. There's a million servers on the internet making sure that you do own your one Apple stock, right? That is tokenization. Tokenization is the right way to invest. Why shouldn't I be able to invest in 30 countries? Every single time a list comes out from some famous provider like John Burns or, you know, or a local market monitor, why shouldn't I be able to take the top three you know, cities, go there on that app and just buy a bunch of things? I'm buying everything in those cities because they've got job growth at 5%. They've got you know, home prices going up at 10%. I just want to buy everything in those cities. This vision seems very utopian, but if you think about it, it actually applies to everything else in my life except for real estate because I have the capability of doing everything online. I can buy a jet in 20 minutes. I can buy a seat on a jet and I can buy stock. I can buy all kinds of stuff on the internet. I can even buy an NFT, a non-fungible thing where some guy has you know, made a squiggly and 50 people are bidding on it. If I can do that, why can't I do it for real estate? That's because real estate has the most number of laws around it. And now step-by-step, step, this is happening. And anybody that thinks it's not happening, I'm telling you, the only reason I'm on this podcast and Tyler Chesser is on this podcast is because it's already happened. It's called crowdfunding. 10 years ago, when people talked about crowdfunding, it was an idea that people could buy buildings and sell stock to hundreds of people and not list on the public exchange. People would laugh at you if you said something like that. And then in 2014, it happened. So if it happened and it was so successful that there's now tens of thousands of syndications in the US, what makes you think the next step wouldn't happen? Tokenization is inevitable, right? And people are like, no, this is in the future. You know, there's laws. People would get sued if they tokenized real estate. Okay. Well, let me prove you wrong in one second. L-O-F-T-Y, Lofty, L-O-F-T-Y dot A-I. Go to Lofty dot A-I. You can buy tokens right now for a bunch of cities. Everything is in front of you, the cash flow, the property price, everything, and you're buying them 50 bucks at a time. It's already legal. Not every company's figured out the infrastructure. Tyler is going to be buying $50 million properties in five years and selling tokens on the internet. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to the show. 
This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital. And you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital, a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I wanna invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook that's called The Bottom Line, The 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. And I wanna tell you that this is a value-packed ebook. So I wanna to, want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're gonna get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com and enjoy the rest of the show. Neil, this is, it's it's very, very insightful. It's very interesting to really think about. And you think about the inefficiencies are what create value currently in, in many ways in real estate. What do you see on the horizon in terms of the efficiencies that this type of endeavor will create in the real estate business? How will this shift the landscape? Okay, well, very good news and very bad news. Okay, so five years from now, I think Tyler will be selling tokens and making lots of money. 15 years from now, I think people like Tyler simply wouldn't exist in this business anymore. So two things will happen. Either Tyler will go out of business or Tyler will upscale. And I'll explain what that upscale means. So hopefully I upscale, you upscale, and we go up. The Amazon effect, the Walmart effect, the, the airline selling their stuff effect, what it does is it creates a, a small number of large companies from a large number of small companies, right? And this has happened all the way across. Technology enables the creation of ever bigger companies. If I told you 10 years ago, there'd be five companies in America worth a trillion dollars. Ha, you'd laugh at me. The right. world wasn't worth uh, you know, a, a trillion dollars. Com countries weren't worth a trillion dollars. Five companies worth two trillion. Like, uh, you know, the Amazon and, and they're all in the two trillion dollar range. I'm telling you, they'll be worth 10 trillion because technology creates ever bigger pyramids. The same thing will happen in real estate. Within 15 years, the vast majority of real estate will be conducted by a very small number of companies. Those are the only people that will be able to afford buying these multifamilies. Not you, not me, not future syndicators. So syndication is a flash in the pan. It will come and it will go, okay? In the long run, we can't exist. Or we are going to be running those big companies that are buying hundreds of billions of dollars in real estate. And why won't be able to compete? But here's the good news. Every time an asset goes from being illiquid to liquid, during that phase, that when the switch gets thrown from illiquid asset to liquidity, its, its value goes completely berserk. It is now in a different class. When stocks in the 80s and the 70s, stocks were liquid, you know, you could trade stocks, but you had to pick up a phone and call a person and wait on the line while that person did a stock transaction. And then you had to send them a check the next day. And then the check would take five days to clear. And hopefully by the sixth day, if the stock was still there, then you'd buy that stock, right? 
And so the, mark, the, the value of the US stock market was here. And then through the 80s, then the 90s, and then this massive explosion that we saw in, in, in the 2000, obviously led, that led to the 2000 you know, crash, which is now coming back because now most young Americans whose net worth might be $10,000 have Robinhood accounts with 500 bucks in there. So when this happened, it led to the PE values, the PE multiples of stocks to just keep going up and up and up. Yesterday, the Dow Jones hit 36,000, right? Like there were people saying it'll take until 2050 for the Dow to hit 30,000. Well, in 2021, we've already hit 36,000. In the last three months, one person, his name is Elon Musk, has made over $100 billion. $100 billion in three months, right? We were saying nobody could make $100 billion. In the 80s, they used to say, for a person to be worth $100 billion, it would take us 100 years. Now, $100 billion is commonplace, right? As a result, between the illiquid price of real estate today and the liquid price of real estate is a very substantial increase in the value of the asset. So that's good news. People holding asset in the next 10 or 15 years are going to see a new kind of tailwind. We've enjoyed demographics tailwinds. We've enjoyed in insufficient construction tailwinds. We're, you're, we're both very aware of those. We're gonna about to get a third one. It's called the liquidity tailwind. So over the next 15 years, it becomes a liquid asset, the value rises. But if we're not careful, 15 years later, we might be very rich, but we might also be out of a job. Well, I feel like the, the thing that's happening is that we've got to continue to adapt, right? We've got to continue to evolve no matter what we're doing. If you're a real estate investor investing in your own capital, or you're raising private capital, you're a passive investor investing in deals. We've got to pay attention to what's on the horizon so that we can adapt and evolve because there's always a new opportunity for us to capitalize, create value, add value, receive value. Talk to me, what role do you believe that artificial intelligence plays on this landscape as well? I think it plays the same role that it plays for stocks. So it took a while for stocks to go from being traded by humans to being traded by computers. But I read recently that today, we, we just hit the 80% point. 80% of all stocks traded today are traded by machines, right? Through rules, human beings set rules, usually human beings that have hundreds of billions of dollars set these rules, right? Or Stanford PhD set these rules. And then the stock trading is done by computers. Now, you might say, yeah, but it took the stock market three decades to get to that point. Everything happens faster today. Everything, right? Things that used to take 10 years now take a year because technology is exponential in nature. You know, that word was not understood by people until COVID arrived. March 7th, 30 cases. March 31st, 500,000 cases. Exponential right? So now people understand exponential and how quickly things can grow. And so because now they understand it, they're beginning to realize that past cycles that used to take decades now take about 18 months. So now in my mind, we're going to basically get to the point where the good side and the bad side of real estate, you know, the, the good side being values go up, the bad sides being basically a bunch of us are out of work because we can no, no longer compete with these highly efficient tech-driven companies we're gonna see a lot of that happen. So we've got some super interesting times. I don't think these are bad times. We've got some super interesting times for real estate in the next 10 years as it goes from a truly illiquid asset to a liquid asset. So imagine what'll happen is that today, Amazon decides 
that it wants to buy a particular street in Austin. It wants to buy all the homes there because it thinks that that's the greatest street of all time. It can't do it. But five years from now, homes on that street are listed on the stock exchange through tokens. So it starts to buy those tokens and it writes an algorithm and it buys that tokens more and more and more and more. And at some point, it now owns the whole street. And once it owns the whole street, guess what it does? It says, this is a terrible use of this street. It should not have single family homes. I'm going to go to the city council and I'm going to turn this into a warehouse. So now you first, for the first time ever, you have the capability of actually restructuring cities by buying pieces of them, which simply doesn't exist today. Wow. See where I'm going with this? That's yeah. one example. I mean, but a hundred examples will follow. Somebody wants to build an airport in the middle of a city. They can do that now because they're basically, everything gets traded on the internet. And you might say, no, I'm going to buy a single family home and not trade it on the internet. I assure you, in 10 years, you will put your house on the web. You will put the house that you own on the web because it would be stupid 10 years from now not to do it because you're monetizing it even though you're living in it. So you'll sell its tokens, still maintaining enough stock so nobody can kick you out, and then you'll pay rent because those tokens will make you a lot more money than the rent you're paying. <laughs> Neil, this is fascinating. And you think about it, it's almost like an algorithm is making decisions based on the future city planning, the you know highest and best use of real estate and, and really optimizing all the token holders, perhaps. You, you mentioned the, the description of a street in Austin, right? It's like, well, wait a minute, the algorithm shows that this would be better suited for a different asset class. I just think that's really interesting. Again, you know, I, I keep saying this, right? It's not the meek that shall inherit the earth. It's the geek. And yes. Amazon is the world's greatest data company. You know how many data scientists they, they, they employ? Right now, look at the Amazon website. You'll notice that the largest number of people that they're looking to employ are data scientists, right? So, and, and so data science is today America's most valued uh, occupation. And most people don't think about that because you're like, no, no, I think a doctor is. And technically, yes, doctors make more money, therefore they're more valued. But not everybody can become a doctor. To become a data scientist, you can basically, if you have a reasonable background with a college degree, you can go to data science in a year. So from that perspective, being able to invest a year of your life and get these amazing starting salary numbers, it's the most valuable job in America. And data I love your science mantra. is the future, by the way. The data science is the future of the white collar worker. We're mm. information workers. We are in the information age. Right. And now we're entering the data age where, you know, Excel becomes much more important than Word and PowerPoint. And so your, your two mantras that you really live by are, we can only manage what we can measure and data beats gut by a million miles. And so I'd love to hear what are your thoughts like on the horizon, even in the short term, maybe the next one to three years. I mean, what's the data telling you about the current market and perhaps the next one to three year trends across the United States? I mean, obviously, I know you focus on multifamily investing. You do obviously existing acquisitions as well as development. I'm sure you can either narrow in on that focus or you could expand. So where would you like to take this? Okay, well, straightforward. And I'll, I'll stick my neck out so far that people are like, oh boy, he, he, this is a public podcast. So let me stick it out there. I do, unless there is another white swan event or black swan event that happens between now and the end of next year, there's only good things for real estate. Between now and the end of next year, only good things. I believe cap rates for multifamily will continue to compress. I believe BTR will become the most uh, desired, built to rent will become the most desired asset class in the world 
not just in real estate. Um, it's already under three cap, and I think it's heading for two cap. Uh, multifamily as a whole will continue to compress. Uh, we will see uh, two interest rate hikes next year. I think one, most people think that there'll be an interest rate hike in December. There's a zero chance of that. I think the Fed is going to taper first. So they're going to stop buying mortgage bonds by maybe December, January. And then they're going to look to raise interest, interest rates once in maybe April, May, and then raise once in the second half of next year. Again, people are like interest rates are going to skyrocket. There's no evidence. This is just all nonsensical stuff. The, the Fed, just look back at how the Fed raised interest rates last cycle, right? And I think that'll give you a very good point. And people are like, cap rates are going to go up when um, you know, interest rates go up. Not really. The Fed raised interest rates five times in the last cycle. Show me evidence of any city in the United States where cap rates went up at any point in the entire cycle. I will show you 100 cities where it declined at all points in the cycle, right? So cap rates are clearly tied to interest rates, but gentle increases in interest rates over an extended period of time tend to have a much lower impact on cap rates. So I, I expect that you, you are going to see higher than you know, typical inflation, uh, not the kind of nonsense. I, I keep hearing people saying you know, six and 10% inflation, hyperinflation. I believe this is complete nonsense. I think what we are going to see is in the last 10 years, we've seen inflation at one and a half percent. The next 10 years, I think we see it between two and a half and 3%. Now that's both good and bad for us because if it stays at 3%, it will force more hikes and that hurts us. Too much interest rate hiking two, three times a year continuously eventually ends up hurting us and flattens out the cap rates. They did flatten out for some point in 2019 um, because they, you know, there were already five hikes that had happened at that point in time. So what I'm predicting is that doesn't happen. That Fed does get the inflation under control, though at a new plateau of two and a half percent, allowing them to, to hike interest rates between one and two times a year, which allows cap rates to compress a little bit further and then flatten out somewhere in the high threes or, or low fours. So the, the multifamily cap rate for the United States was 5.10. That's A, B, and C all mixed before COVID. It's now somewhere in the high fours. And I think it'll e either settle in the low fours or it's possible that it'll settle in the high threes. Built-to-rent cap rates will settle in the twos. So BTR is a superior asset class to multifamily for a bunch of reasons that are beyond the scope of this podcast. And so more and more money will leave multifamily to go to built-to-rent, but there's so much money coming into multifamily from outside the US and from other asset classes, for example, office at this point is a completely out of favor office class, uh, asset class. And so as money flows in, I think multifamily is still going to, to benefit. I think single family homes are going to do well, but, but they had their once in a lifetime growth in these last 12 months. I do think that the single family market slows down. Neil, I could nerd out with you for days, weeks on end, and uh, I just appreciate your perspective. And I think it's important for the listener to consider what Neil is talking about today, because man, we're, we're the constant is change. The only constant is change. And I think if we can embrace that and we can enjoy that change, we can certainly optimize that not only for our real estate portfolio, but for the future that we enjoy as well. So Neil, thank you so much for this. I just really appreciate your time. I appreciate you spending time with us and educating us on where things are going 
thing, but I want to transition into our rapid fire section. We call it the rear air questionnaire. Uh, being a geek is not always, uh, you know, the popular opinion, but it's, it's certainly a rare way to take your future, you know, take, take control of your future. And so I'm excited about spending more time with you, Neil, if I had to ask you a few questions, the first of which I would ask you would be, if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? I'll just give you one because it, it led me to all the others. The Miracle Morning is not the best book in the world. It's not even my favorite book, but it's the biggest enabler of all time. Because if you follow the Miracle Morning just for six months, six months, you will find the most impactful books you've ever read. They'll be called something else. For everybody, they're different. But the Miracle Morning is actually the foundation for, for reading all those other books. So check it out. I love that. We'll put a link in the show notes to the miracle morning. And, and I I'm with you, man. That's, that's the habit that then cascades into more reading, creating that as a meta habit and learning and synthesizing and training your brain, which obviously you do uh, very frequently, Neil. So thank you for that. If you had to point to the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, Neil, what would that be and why? Uh, life hacking. So I am unlike most people, I'm not interested in just running a company. Well, I'm interested in running my life well. Right now, go to indeed.com and you'll notice that I have an ad up for a physiotherapy assistant because as I want to optimize my life, I realize that I want to have amazing range of motion and I can't really do that by going to Kaiser Permanente. So you see an ad, it says 60 bucks an hour for a physical therapy assistant that lives in Fremont to come to my home two times a week so I can have better range of motion. I'm not injured by the way, right? That is a perfect example. I'm interested and everyone should be interested in living life at 100%. And you cannot just apply that to work. You have to apply it to everything you do. I love it. I love it. And we are all about optimization. And I think that obviously health is wealth. And, you know, like Steve Jobs, he talked about at the end of his life, it's like he would give every penny that he earned to receive his health back. And so just thinking about that and, and being well-rounded in many, many different ways, is something I admire about that, that response, Neil, thank you for that. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? By challenging them constantly. I find that even driven people tend to settle all the time. And so I'm always looking for ways to inspire and, and create a new challenge and kind of find a way for people to find a new level because I'm one of those believers that thinks that there is no ceiling. Only the ones that we think about, there are no ceilings. Well, thank you for challenging us today, Neil. This has been phenomenal. And what you have showed us is that through real estate, through technology, through exponential technology and all of these things that are, that are coming our way, we can either say these are scary or we can say this is exciting. There is no ceiling. There are no ceilings. And so with that said, Neil, are there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? Yeah, we, uh, you know, I have a lot of crazy and disruptive thoughts. I'd like you know, you guys to check those out. There's a website that we put all these crazy thoughts on. Uh, it's called multifamilyu.com. Go there. You will see amazing videos. There's one called 10 Disruptive Trends. We talked about one today, tokenization. Check out the other nine. Uh, there's a, um, a, a workshop. It's called Location Magic. It tells you how to figure out the best cities to invest in in America in 10 minutes. So check that one out. There's a one called Real Estate Trends, which shows you the trends for a given year. Obviously, this year, they're all tied to COVID, but check that course out. And then there's one that I think many of you will find very interesting. 
It is how to use virtual, virtual assistants to 10x your company. It's a one-hour course. I use 35 live examples in that course. So check those out. So I think it, it, there's many more, but I think these are the kind of the top four that people like the most when they think about life hacking. So check them out at multifamilyu.com. Love it. And Neil, I just want to acknowledge you for continuing to use that beautiful mind towards identifying a new, greater future, not only for your company, but for so many other people. I want to acknowledge you for spending time and sharing that wisdom with us today. Neil, the listeners can also find you at Grow Capitus. Is it growcapitus.com? Is that correct? Yes. If you're an investor and you're looking to invest in tech-enabled uh, real estate, uh, G-R-O-C-A-P-I-T-U-S.com, an easier way to find Grow Capitus is simply by Googling my name. I'm the only Neil Bawa on the internet, so N-E-A-L, Bawa. So you can also, you get your chance to type in Neil Bawa scam or Neil Bawa is an idiot or whatever it is, <laughs> and it's all about me. Neil, thank you again for being on Elevate. We'll see you next time, my friend. Sounds good. Thanks, Tyler. Bye-bye. Elevate Nation. What a grateful uh, feeling that I have based on having a conversation with Neil Bawa. And I think it's important for us to really, really understand how the intersection of technology and real estate and real estate investing and how our cities will interact, how our dollars will interact in the future, how our value interacts with creating more value for other people. It's important for us to recognize this. And for me, the central theme of this is, hey, you know what? Embrace change, embrace these new opportunities, evolve, adapt, grow, create value. I mean, ultimately, these are the principles that I believe will still remain tried and true in the future as we continue to jump through this change, as we continue to embrace this change. And the thing that I think is important is that the change will continue to happen faster. It will continue to compound on itself. It will be exponential. I think it was important uh, and, and insightful that Neil shared that while previously, you know, we looked at a real estate cycle and said, hey, every 10 years, you're going to have expansion, you're going to have maturity, you're going to have regression, you're going to have depression, so to speak. You know, obviously, I'm talking about recessions and, and even deeper times of uh, depression as far as the economic landscape. What Neil shared is that, you know, really over 18 months, these uh, this this cycle can now occur and perhaps will be occurring here in the future. And who knows, who knows where that goes. So I think it's important for us to continue to learn, continue to grow, continue to have these conversations, continue, continue to listen, engage in these type of conversations, consider alternatives, because I think that, you know, the sign of intelligence is to consider all all alternatives and you know make your own decisions and i think it's important for us to strategize and and really read the tea leaves and so today's episode was super valuable for that i hope you found a ton of value that was my goal is to bring massive value to you today so what are your takeaways what are your distinctions from this discussion today and what are those number one two and three takeaways that you have and who is it that you would like to share those takeaways with because it's important for us to discuss it's important for us to have discourse with other people because that's how we learn also, repetition is the mother of all skills. So I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show. Of course, share this with someone else and tell them what did you learn from this and what really shocked you? What opened up your world for change and evolution in your own real estate practice and so forth? So with all that said, Elevate Nation, I just want to thank you for listening so much. I'm so grateful for you. And I want to encourage you most importantly to take massive action. Until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. 
If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.